This is part one of a two-part episode where I interview my sister-in-law, Jill. She was a single woman until the age of 40, and she really found light by building relationships with others, serving the Lord, attending the temple, getting more education, traveling the world, and increasing her faith in Christ. So enjoy this first part. Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, today's podcast is super exciting for me. I, um... I have the opportunity to interview my sister-in-law, Jill. And um, Jill and I, fun fact, when we grew up, people always confused us of each other. So people thought that I was Jill and people thought that Jill was me. We had long blonde hair. And um, the reason why I am interviewing Jill today is because I really admire the way that she lived her life. as a single uh, woman, um, you know, growing up in the church, we go to primary and, and um, Sunday school and young women classes, and we talk all about families and marriage and children. And not everybody is able to, you know, ha- have the family, marriage and children, and that can be really trying. And Jill did not let any of that stop her in her progression spiritually and seeking light in her life. And so today I wanted to to share with you about Jill and have her share her story with you. And so Jill, (laughs) say hello. (laughs) Hi, hello. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It means a lot because I I love you and I love the podcast. So thank you. Yay. Thanks for the plug, Jill. (laughs) (laughs) okay so what I want to do is just so the so the audience can get to know you better Mm -hmm. I want you to tell tell us just starting from the beginning tell us about your life yourself just everything you can think of Uh I want to I want to also put in that um for those who don't or do know us um I wanted to be Beth when I, when I met her, when she was hanging out with Matt and dating him, even though they said they weren't dating because he was on a mission. But, um, I, it was like the biggest thing to me to have someone who was in high school that, and I was, I think it was in eighth grade, um, seventh and eighth grade, which are such formidable years. And so I loved hanging out with you and having people mistake me for you. I was like, yeah, awesome. You were like everything I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, Except when you decided not to go to prom. I was like, how come she doesn't want to go to prom? But then you and I went together, so we were fine. I literally took Jill to my senior prom, and they kicked me out because I wasn't dressed in a formal dress. So We were in sweatpants. That was so awesome. <laughs> so they told me I had to leave the building because it wasn't appropriate for me to be in attendance. <laughs> by by that, that unnamed teacher that we both know who it was. Yeah, we won't mention names. <laughs> um. So anyways, so yeah, so I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and I lived in the same house my whole life. So very, very stable in that way. I'm number six of eight. So I was the, um, 
I was the youngest for five years. And then Ashley and Amber, my twin sisters, um, mom uh, was pregnant with them. So I was, I was the baby for five years and then it was torn away from me. I like to say, um, <laughs> but um, it was, it was a good childhood. There was, so there was three older sisters, then my two brothers who I just idolized and I just wanted them to want me around. I was such a tomboy. Um, they never wanted me around, but, um, and then, um, and then it was me and then my twin sisters. So if you actually think about it, even though we were even numbered kids, um, I was kind of alone because it was three sisters who were older, two brothers who were older, but also best friends, best friends and boys. Um, and then my sisters below me were twins, uh, twin sisters. And so I was kind of alone in that sense. And then in the cousin world, because we had a, a very close extended family on my mom's side, um, none of the cousins were my age. So I, I, in a sense, I was kind of a loner um, in that way, or, or my brothers were forced to play with me. Um, and, but also the way that I coped with that, and this wasn't something I realized until I like processed it when I, um, when I went to therapy in LA, because everyone in LA has a therapist <laughs> when I lived there. <laughs> and, um, and I realized that's why I clung to friends so closely is because I love my family. And at the same time, I didn't have anyone my age that was really there that wanted to like, to play with me kind of thing. So, so anyways, I was always very, um, like my mom said, um, my mom said, she was like, you, you didn't know that you should be shy. You didn't know that you should be worried to do something. She's like, you just, you just got up and you did it. And you were on the basketball court or you were, I was a very, um, I was a very, uh, I was, I was a chubby little kid and, um, you know, I was definitely never petite and, um, I never got to buy the guest jeans. Let's just be honest. They didn't make them in my size. And well, I couldn't remember. afford guest jeans, so I would borrow them from my friends. So you're good. <laughs> um, and so, uh, acid wash guest jeans with a zipper on the back. Um, you know what I'm talking about. And so, um, so anyways, so it's like, my mom was like, it's like, you should have been worried because maybe people would say something about you or whatever, you know, cause, and I also had very, very thick glasses, um, from the time I was five and she's like, and you just didn't pay attention to any of that. Like you just went and you did it and you made friends with people and you were a tomboy and you liked school and all of that. And that's just how I was. I was generally just a pretty happy kid. I've, um, you know, one of my strengths I've learned as I've gotten older is I'm, I'm pretty positive. Um, and also I, uh, uh, the way my old work used to define it is, um, I have a very like big connectedness vibe, meaning like, I think things happen for a reason. And I feel like there's a deeper purpose for what we go through. And so very early on when I was, you know, brought down and especially going into middle school, you know, when, when you start liking boys and, and oh, I, I mean, there's still times I, I, things I can remember of boys saying mean things to me. And my response that my dad taught me was, well, I may be fat, but you're ugly and I'm losing weight. Now I know maybe that's not the appropriate thing you're supposed to dad say. Dad told you to or say whatever. that. Dad told me to say that. <laughs> and I actually used it. Um, so, uh, and, uh, uh, anyways, it was like, I hope it's okay that I just said that. Um, but it was just like, that's how I, I had to combat it. Right. Like, 
And dad also taught us to laugh things off. Dad did such a good job of that. He just, he would laugh things off where it would be hard or maybe someone had said something mean about him or something like that. You just laugh at yourself. Like it's not a big deal. And, um, and I think I really took that with me through middle school. I mean, it hurt you're in middle school and when people are mean and stuff like that, but it helped me. And I really, really grew and had a good group of people. I should move on with my life. So then in high school, I was involved in a lot of things. Um, my goal, my number one goal in life was to go to BYU. I, my elder siblings either went to Rick's because it wasn't BYU-Idaho yet, or they went to BYU um, or BYU-Hawaii. And that's just what I assumed. And then my elder siblings, all of them also went on missions, including the girls. So I didn't know that it, I mean, I knew it wasn't a, like, I knew I didn't have to go, but at the same time, like all my older siblings went. So for me, seeing that was big, but then also I just wanted to go. And, um, and then my, I had had, you know, special blessings that had talked about me serving a mission. And so I knew I wanted to do that. So anyways, I achieved my life goal and um, got into BYU, my, my teenage life goal, which was everything. I still remember coming home from my high school graduation and like looking at myself in my full length mirror um, and, and crying because I was like, well, what's my goal now? Like, <laughs> I was like, I've what's made my it. purpose? I made it. What's my purpose now? That was like one of my first big transitions, right? So anyways, went to BYU. Um, okay, Jill, that I wanted to go. Before yes. we go on, I just want to hear too. Okay. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about your testimony. Mm. You start to yes, I'm sorry. As a teenager, when did you start to feel like your testimony was growing and that you were becoming more converted? Yes. Okay. And first I should take, take a deep breath. I am a fast talker. So I apologize. No, you're great. Um, Okay. So I always, um, going back to that connectedness, right. And believing things happen for a reason. I also have like a really high belief strength where I, be I believe in the things I do, right. Or I don't do them and, um, or I don't do them as passionately. And so, um, I don't remember not believing in, um, God and Jesus Christ and being a child of God. I always remember believing that. Um, I think two really distinct things. When I was about 13, I felt like I should start reading the Book of Mormon. And so I did. And um, I would do maybe a chapter a night and I wasn't that close. I mean, I wasn't reading it that closely. I wasn't studying. I was just reading. And at my eighth grade year, um, I was just reading it before I went to bed. Um, and wasn't paying attention too closely. And I was in third Nephi chapter 11. And I went across verses 11 through 15, which is where Jesus Christ actually comes to the Americas and presents himself to the Nephites. And um, I felt, I, it was the Holy Spirit. I felt, I felt light in my soul. I felt lightness of my body. I felt my mind lighten up. And I was like, what did I just read? And I went back and I read it again. And it was the, you know, the passage of Jesus showing himself to the Nephites. And I was like, this is real. And then I was like, Jesus came to the America. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
because I've been taught it my whole life, but I never put it together. And so that was just huge. And that was, that was a big testimony for me. And then I think I entered into that time where I kept reading the book of Mormon and I was generally a good kid, but you know, I make mis I, you know, I, I did dumb things like how Joseph Smith in his story talks about how he, the foibles, you know, of youth. exactly. Right. And I definitely did that, but I do know that that testimony, um, helped me have, like, I, I knew it was true now and that there was something about it. And so when things happened in eighth grade, like, for example, I went to a party my eighth grade year and my parents never let me go to parties, but my friend was moving or something like that. And so they said, fine, you can go to this. Uh, I should say they didn't let me go to boy girl parties. They let me go to this boy girl party. And at that boy girl party, um, I couldn't find my friends and I had a, a good group of friends and I, I went and I searched for them and I found them out front and they were drinking. And that was the first time I had any clue that I had friends who had been drinking alcohol and we, you know, we were 13, 14 and I was like, what the heck? So I just, they all saw me and they all knew what I stood for. And so I turned and I went to walk back in the house. And when I walked back in the house, like the party was going on. And I mean, it was eighth graders. So it's not like it was a rager, you know, it was eighth graders, but there was music and it was darker and, you know, the, us running around. And honestly, I kind of compare it to like um, an after school special where the kid has to make a big decision in his or her life. <laughs> and it's like, I could see um, what my life would be if I walked in the door and what my life would be if I turned in and walked away. And that was my moment where I had to choose for myself. And I turned, I, I mean, and I think all of the teachings and everything and who, who I just was as an individual, but also what I had learned and the support I'd gotten throughout my life about in the gospel and as having the family I had, I turned and I walked away, which meant I had to walk past all my friends again. And, and, and I still remember like they, they laughed at me and they, I mean, that's when I felt like I was walking to the, you know, the iron rod and being mocked and, um, and they're like, come on, chill out. It's not a big deal. You know, whatever they did. And I walked to the corner store and called mom and dad. And they had always said, if anything happens, just call us. We won't ask any questions. And I lost all my friends that eighth grade year, you know, and that was hard for me, but I knew like, um, I knew I'd done what was right. And mom and dad were really smart because it, maybe they knew that summer they needed to get me away, but they sent me to Utah and I was at BYU going to those camps. I went to a basketball camp. camp and I went to, yeah, I went to, I think when EFY, I went to Academy for Girls, which was just a girl's version of EFY. And I think I went to even another camp. Um, it's like, they just somehow knew that I needed to get away that summer. Um, and I did. And, um, and that was really, really important to me. And that helped, that was really pivotal in me saying, no, this is my line in the sand. This is what I do. I wasn't a perfect kid. I didn't, I didn't, you know, okay. Maybe I had a few Mormon ads up on my wall. Okay. <laughs> but like, I, I, I plugged along and I knew I wanted to go to BYU and I knew BYU was a church school. And I also had a testimony and it, and it grew from that. And, uh, and so I've been a believer most of my life. 
I really have. Um, I've had struggles. I really have, especially getting into your thirties as a single person in the church. But, but I mean, I, I think we'll get into that later. Not even think we will definitely get into that later where I did have to say, I'm doing this on my own. But at that time, that was my, that was what I needed to really push and see where did I stand as a teenager in the gospel. Right. So it was, I'm really grateful for those experiences. I've always been grateful for those experiences. And I should say, I was a journal writer. Um, up until like this year, I've been a journal writer. And I'm so glad I have those stories. I'm so glad I have them. So um, is there anything else about that you want me to? No, I think that's uh, great. I just wanted to okay. kind of see, you know, where was your testimony at? And what, you know, in the, in your journey of your spiritual growth, where were you at? So you go off to BYU. Mm -hmm. And yep. at that time, girls uh, did not leave on missions until they were 21. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you went, did you go to BYU for two years? I went for, yeah, I went for two years. And I should tell you, I, um, I, I get really thirsty. So I'll, I'll be drinking as we're, I'll be drinking water as we're going along. Yeah. So I went to BYU for two and a half years and um, I stayed in the dorms and then I was off campus with some friends. And then that second year, um, I don't know what happened, but I, I had a friend who went to the BYU Jerusalem Center, and then I had a cousin, uh, cousin Cindy and Kathy, who went to the BYU Jerusalem Center. And I was like, I want to do that. And we were not, I mean, you know the family, we're, we're not an international traveling family. So when I told mom and dad I wanted to do that, everyone thought I was like crazy. And I still kind of remember mom. She was like, that's, you know, that's the black sheep of the family. I have to do something different, you know? By but the way, I, Jill is a world traveler. You will hear <laughs> of her trips. <laughs> but that's what really hit me when I, I, and so I started saving money and mom and dad said, okay, if you, if you can get into BYU Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem center and go to Israel for that semester, then, then the, that money you would have used for your mission. We will, we will, don't worry about that. We'll take care of the mission because you've obviously used that money for, um, for Jerusalem. And I got in and I went and that was a, I mean, that was just a game changer in so many ways. Like it, the, the, like it, number one, it taught me, it's not hard to travel internationally. It really isn't like you get a passport, you get a visa if you need it. Um, you buy the plane ticket and you make some plans and you go, like you just do it. And that just opened my whole world. And I think being in that part of the world, especially because it's not Europe, it's not Latin America, you know, it's not Australia. It is you know, the three, three of the major religions in this world centered right there with so much conflict politically. And I love it. I mean, I, you can, I mean, you see the smile on my face right now, just the memories I have from that and the people I met. And while I was there, I sent um, away for my mission call. So I applied for my mission and um, I decided to do that. And I was like, I am so ready to be sent to like, any mission in the world. And um, I even had a part of, and I feel okay sharing this, of my patriarchal blessing. And for those of you that don't know, it's a special blessing um, that's, that is personalized for the individual who is receiving it. And it's, it's, it's a life map. It's not a, it's not a um, crystal ball, right? But it's a map where it just helps 
you along the way understand who you are, where you come from, what you're doing, where you're going, and where you can arrive, right? And um, it, had, it had talked about how I would serve a mission and I would preach to the nations. So I was like, I'm going to Greece. I'm going to Africa. I'm going. And all my siblings had gone to places where they had worked with very unique people, right? So four of the five had gone to Spanish speaking, right, to South America or to Europe. And then one had stayed stateside, but she worked with um, on the Indian reservations. Indian reservations. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to do something like that. And I opened it and it said, New York. <laughs> well, Jill, you were going to preach to all nations in New York. <laughs> that's, I mean, sure. that's the honest truth, right? But I yes. didn't see that. I was so, FYI, I was so bummed about my call. And, um, but I got there and within two months, and it was my first area, maybe within, now yeah, within two months, um, I had gotten the idea to write down in my journal at the back where I had like, from what countries I had met people. And I, by the end of my mission had met people from over 120 countries. And you can't do that in very many cities, you know, no. Yeah. no. And the, the United Nations is there. And so I mean, that's just also symbolic. And so I really saw a fulfillment of that. And just as a side note, I think a large part of answering the question like of how, how did I have this light in my life or how did I seek light? I really believed in the importance of the blessings I've received and, and really believe that Heavenly Father fulfills his blessings to us, whether there's something general or whether there's something very specific that comes to us that we know is meant for us. And, and I learned early on, um, I credit Elder Oaks talk on timing for this. Um, I learned early on, like, and it's in his timeline. Also Elder Maxwell's talk on patience, two great talks. Um, <laughs> and Elder Holland <laughs> <laughs> cast out away enough for their confidence. Um, and there was one other that I can't remember that's Holland, but anyways, those were so influential in me understanding, like the blessings come, they may come early. They may come when we want, they may come later. They may not come until the left next life, but they always come. And I think that that, that was a huge demonstration for me on my mission when I saw, Oh, that's what you mean by preach to the nations. And that was really beautiful and has always been a lovely testimony. And I love sharing that with people because I think that's a great example of how God fulfills things differently than we, than we imagine. And he always does it better than we imagine. Yes. Cause I mean, as you know, and as I'll talk about, I, I go back to New York. I mean, up until COVID hit, I would go probably almost once a year, you know, right, right. sometimes twice a year. Cause I was on the East coast. So um, is there anything you want me to hit on that or should I hop on to, 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 moving on. No, um, I, I think that's great. I think you've highlighted some awesome things about you feeling directed and receiving light as you were moving forward in your young adult years. So you get home from New York mm-hmm. and tell me mm-hmm. about that. How was that for you? Um, getting home was really hard for me. Um, I cried every day at like five o'clock. I don't know why that time, but at I night or in the morning at night, at night, at night. Um, I think my big help was that I got a job at the MTC working as a teacher. So I was able to teach missionaries who were getting ready to go on missions. And so in a sense, I almost extended my mission like four years. Um, and I taught there 
And then I was a teacher supervisor there. And then I ran the reading program there as well. Um, because I, just as a side note, a lot of people don't know this, but you have missionaries who come in who have struggles with reading. And we're talking native English speakers. And they might have a first or second grade reading level. Some will have an eighth, you know, some have a ninth. And some will be right on par or above. But those who are struggling, there's a reading program set up to help missionaries so that they can become, um, they can get over those reading issues by the time that they leave the MTC and go out into the field because they're reading all the time. And it's really a miraculous program. So I have to just plug that because I love that reading program so much. What did you learn so, working at the MTC? What was one lesson um, you learned from working there? And I want to reiterate to those of you that aren't members of, of our church, um, the, it's the Missionary Training Center. And I've mentioned it a couple other times in a couple previous podcasts, but just so you know, right now during COVID, missionary training centers are at the home and that's where they should really start for every child at the <laughs> beginning of their life. So really your home is your missionary training center, but at the time they missionaries would go and they will in the future, go back to these training centers and they'll learn. And like Jill said, they had that literacy program that she mm -hmm. was over. So go ahead, Jill. What was one thing? There, oh my gosh. Um, I really solidified, I think I'm going to go doctrinal here, right? Good. I really solidified my testimony of the necessity and power of the Holy Spirit. That's where I came across the uh, President Ezra Taft Benson quote. So he was president, I don't know, four or five pro prophets ago. And um, he said, it's the spirit that matters most. And he starts it out saying like, if I've told them my, my brethren of the 12 once I've told them a million times, like it is the spirit that matters most. And I believe that because everything that we work to do as members of the church is to come closer to God. And how do we work to come closer to God? We have to have the spirit more with us because the spirit purifies us. And when the spirit purifies us, then we are able to see and do things more like he would do <clears throat> and we're, we're more willing to. And so that's why people are like, why do I have to go to church? Well, because that might be a place that you feel the spirit more. Why do I have to read my scriptures? Well, that might be a place where I feel the spirit more, you know? Why do I go why to the temple? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and of course, for a lot of people, it's different in different ways, right? Quick tangent, like we were in Canada and you were the one, the last time we went to Canada, um, you and I were there and we went to run an errand and you were like, hey, full disclosure, I'm really into Christian rock. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> and, um, and, and you explained why, you know, you're like, I just feel like it, it, it just fills my mind with more positive words and thoughts. And I go through the day and it's better, but it's also, it's not, it's not like I'm listening to the, um, tabernacle, excuse me, tabernacle choir at temple square all the time. And I was like, okay. And, um, I actually very soon after that was going through something. I don't even remember what. And I was like, I'll try Christian rock. Like, let's see. And I am now a Christian rock fan. <laughs> Casting yeah. is so good. They're so good. For King um, and Country. King and Country. Lauren Daigle. Oh, her Christmas special is so good, right? Um, so, so anyways, 
um, so to come off that tangent, it's just a thing of where we have part of our job is to learn the language of the spirit. And I, I credit Sherry do um, had great talks on this when she was in the general Relief society um, presidency. And she talks like, we have to learn the language of the spirit, just like we would learn any other language. And the thing is, is that the language of the spirit is very personalized and it's our job to figure that out. And, um, and so I, I would say that was one of the most important things that I learned at the MTC mm-hmm. is trying, yeah, trying to say, it's not about the facts. It's about bringing in the spirit, right? Because when you're a missionary, people want to fight with you about stuff all the time. And I wish I would have known this more on my mission because I would have been a lot better about not fighting with people and just being like, no big deal. We're good. It's all right. Like, you don't want to talk about this. The spirit's not going to be here. There's going to be a contention. We walk away. So, so that was the time at the MTC and I was there until I left. Um, in that time, I, um, like I dated cause that's what you do at BYU. I lived at the foreign language house. So I became fluent in Spanish. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I majored in English teaching, just like my dad. I thought I wanted to be a teacher for 30 years, just like him. Um, okay. So Jill, and... I have to pause you for just a minute. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> Knowing that you were coming to a close at BYU, did you feel a sense of, oh my gosh, I've got to get serious with somebody. I mean, what did you, did you even care about that at the time? I totally did. That's what you talk about. That is what you talk about all the time. Oh my gosh. I did care. Now the thing was, is I wasn't rushing to get married. Um, because it just wasn't my, I mean, I'd gone on a mission and I will, I mean, I'll tell you, so my dating life, um, like I, I did have, I did have someone who had said, um, the day of my mission, it was like, don't go on your mission. And I was like, are you kidding me? Of course I'm going, you know? So I did, I did have options. Right. And I did write, um, I, I wrote someone my entire mission and, you know, maybe that was going to work out and it didn't, and that was fine. Um, so it was always there. Like, would you get married? But I never, I wasn't someone who was like, I've got to get married as soon as possible to the first guy. That just wasn't my thing. Um, or I just, I have to live to get married. And I think that that came from number one, my older sisters, because they got married. Uh, well, two of them definitely got married older, like in their thirties and forties. And then, um, And then one of them got married, but she was like 24, 25, which was still, I mean, it's younger, but you know, she, you know, she was just a little older. And so I think I just had that. And then on top of that, my grand, my maternal grandmother did not get married until she was 34. And that's, she's always had, I've always had a special connection with her. Um, that honestly, I feel has only gotten stronger as she has passed. And as I've grown up, I feel like we have a special spiritual relationship. And so for me, I was never overly stressed but was I talking about it all the time because you're wondering who's that guy in the apartment next door and what's this and how's that going and so if I didn't graduate from BYU without getting married I was totally fine it wasn't a big deal to me but I did I I I had my first 
My first real heartbreak was at BYU. My second real heartbreak was at BYU. And then I also had some really unique experiences there because I um, had my first experience. I, I mean, I, I think that, I think a lot of girls have this nowadays, but I, you know, I dated, uh, I, I dated a gay guy. I didn't know he was gay at the time. Right. But like, I loved him. I really loved him. And I really thought we were going to get married. And then we broke up and I didn't understand why. And then it all came out like he was gay. And it's like, I'm so glad that didn't work out. I'm so glad that didn't work out because I, I, I don't think either of us would have been happy kind of thing. So there was, there was also heartbreak. Like there was real love there. And, um, and so when I graduated, um, when I graduated, I knew I needed to get out of Utah, nothing against Utah. It was good, but I knew that having grown up in Oregon, I knew it was a bubble. Like Utah has a certain bubble to it and BYU has an especially large bubble and, um, or intense bubble. Right. And so I knew I could stay cause I knew I could get a job there being a teacher, but I wanted to use my Spanish and I didn't want to be afraid. Like if something scares me, I generally want to try and do it because I know that there's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? I fail. Okay. Who cares? Like, yeah, you cry about it. You learn from it, you get up and you get going. That's just kind of how my mentality has been. Like, what if I don't get the job? Who cares? I tried. What if I don't get into the program? Who cares? And so, um, I did this quick trip and I, I interviewed for jobs in California, um, Arizona, and um, I don't know if you remember this, and the colonies in Mexico, yes. the Mormon colonies in Mexico. Do you remember that? Yes. I almost, I wanted to take that job so badly. They offered it to me. Oh, I wanted to. I went down, I visited everything, and I just did not feel good about living in this small little town um, you know, three, four hours South of the border, not because I didn't feel like it would be safe, but it just didn't feel right. Um, and I had received a blessing that had said, I would know where I needed to be. And so when I was in LA, I was interviewing at Long Beach Unified School District to work at a K-12 school. So kindergarten through eighth grade, but I'd be a middle school teacher, uh, seventh grade. And I just was interviewing with the, with the principal, I had an experience um, where a student came in, she interacted with that student. And I was like, I want to be part of this. That's where I want to be. So they offered me the job. And so I moved to Los Angeles. I, growing up, I hated Californians. I love my cousins. They were great. And they were in Sacramento, but like everything else, I was like, California just come to Oregon and drive fast and buy houses for cash. That's all. And they complain about the rain no hate against Californians, but that's how I viewed them growing up. Right. And, um, and I moved down there and I became a Southern Californian as quickly as you could imagine. Like we lived in Santa Monica, which is right by the Santa Monica pier. It's the pier you always see in movies. We were like five blocks from it. We'd walk down to the beach every day after work. I mean, talk about awesome therapy. Um, it was 72 degrees year round. And if it was a hot day, it was 80. Just kidding. Sometimes it did get hot. But like, and we had, I moved there with one of my dear friends from college, Lisa. 
And we, we would just sit there and we're like, we are living the life. Like, this is amazing. And our ward there, it's a singles ward, Santa Monica third. And we loved it because, and you had, I just surrounded myself with people that were creative and funny and were living lives in their twenties, you know, and you're just having a great time all the time. And at the same time, I'm at church. So I'm generally like more, more or less, I'm hanging out with good people. And that's really important to me because I'm a positive person and I'm, and I, I believe things happen for a reason and all of that. And so for me, it was important, not just to have fun people around me, but people that were genuinely good people. And I just, I, I'm not saying that good, you know, churches have the monopoly on good people in this world, but I just happened to be in a place where I was surrounded by fun, good people who helped me grow in my testimony of Jesus Christ. And, and that was just awesome. And, and we happened to live five blocks from the beach. And can I, I'll just say, I never regretted writing that check. It was so expensive for rent, but, uh, or that rent check, it was so expensive, but we don't care. You went, you know how great it I was. stayed in your apartment. Yeah. 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 It was fun. So I taught there for, for how many years did you teach in Santa and Long, in Santa Monica? Long? Well, Long Beach, I taught, I'd commute. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught for four years there. Okay. And um, I taught for one, well, so in total, I won't go into it, but I taught for five years public, traditional public school, uh, one in Utah during my internship, and then four in LA. So, what and, did you do after mm-hmm. you decided you were done with teaching? Yeah. So, excuse me, I got to take a drink. So, about year three, I had decided like, there's something more I need to do. I love education, but I wanted to see it on a grander scale. And I didn't know what that looked like. And so I started, I started like looking around and seeing, well, maybe like, or maybe I don't want to stay in education. I looked at different programs. I mean, I just did, I mean, I took the LSAT. I studied for the LSAT for like eight months and I took the LSAT twice. I thought maybe I wanted to be an attorney even. Um, and there were just some things that happened in California around that time that um, I became more political and I realized, oh, I have strong beliefs in things. And when I have strong beliefs in things, I really want to advocate for those things. And so I was like, um, I had a great bishop at the time. He, um, I will say his name forever, Larry Eastland. He is one of my greatest mentors. I love him. And um and he had lived in Washington, D.C., and he had worked for, like, been in the cabinet for, like, three presidents. So he knew D.C. so well. And he's like, I think you should try D.C. And I went out there and I did a visit and I went to this conference, this political, um, this political conference. And I was like, I belong here. And the way I kind of joke around with people is, is like, I lived in L.A. to, like, have fun. Oops. Um, sorry, my phone just switched. Um, I, I lived in LA to have fun, but I moved to DC for my profession. Right. I mean, I loved teaching and that was part of my profession, but DC is like, how, how have I heard people say it? Um, LA, you work to live and, um, DC, you live to work. So hang on, Beth, can you still hear me? Okay. Cause you, yeah, you're picture. great. Okay, good. All right. So it just cut out. I'm going to have to charge in a minute. 
So, and that's exactly what it was for me is it was like, my job just took off. So at age, I, I was like 29, I took off and I drove across country without a job. And I was like, I'm going to find a job in DC. And my, my bishop was like, you will find a job within three months, hands down. He's like, it might not be great paying, but you got to get your foot in the door. And he's like, you just got to pound the pavement. And that's what I did. And I found a job within three weeks. And it was with an organization that worked with teachers and it espoused a lot of my beliefs on education. And I loved it. And it was awesome. And at the same time, I was also, turn no, you know what? Was I turning 30 that year? I did turn 30 that year. Yeah, I turned 30 that year because that was also coming to the end of my young single adult life. And my young single adult life in the church, when you switch from what's called YSA, young single adult, to mid-single, it is like you go from like living the life, everything's great, you're having so much fun, and all of a sudden you are like cast off to the land of misfit toys is what it feels like. Like what is, you know, kind of this thought like, why couldn't you get married? You had 31 years on this earth to figure out how to get married, you know? I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.